All right. Good morning, church. Before we begin, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time here together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for the, the people that are present in this room. Lord, we thank you for church family. We thank you for the body of Christ, that uh, all the different parts move together. We thank, that, thank you that you put it together the way that you wanted, that through your Holy Spirit, you drew people here to this place that we needed and that are part of us, and that every single person here uh, that claims you as Lord is an important part of us moving together in the way that you've called us to be. Lord, we uh, ask that you would bless us this morning as we spend our time together, uh, that you would see our hearts as we lift up words of praise, as we say uh, words of prayer, as we read scripture. And then, Lord, I ask that you would uh, bless me with the, uh, the sermon that you would have me give, that you would have your Holy Spirit use those words uh, from imperfect people to go into the hearts of those that need to hear it. Lord, we also ask that uh, this morning you would be with Transformation Church here in town. Uh, and Craig Leonard, who's given the sermon this morning there. And Lord, I ask that you would also bless him with the gift of preaching this morning, that he would bring the gospel news to people there, and folks at Transformation Church uh, would do just that. They'd be transformed. They'd become more your people. They would reach out to others, and they would uh, show this city and the people around them who you are. Lord, before we close, we also ask, uh, we need rain. Lord, we ask that you would, you would bring us rain to this land. It is parched and it is dry. Uh, and it has reminded us so much of what it means to thirst. And uh, we're reminded, too, that we thirst for you more than anything. But, uh, Lord, it is a great reminder for us that we need you. Uh, we need your intervention. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bring uh, cloudy skies and rain to our land, please. And uh, we ask this because you are our Father and you allow us to do that. We bring all this before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for a while, we've, we've been in the book of John for a little while. We've been in the book. We're in the last chapter. Turn, if you got your journal there, we're, on, we're in the last chapter. You can turn to those last pages. We're going to be in John chapter 21 here, uh, and we'll read in just a minute. Um, we are, uh, we're going to talk about awkward conversations um, and awkward meals. We did that a little bit when we talked about uh, the Last Supper, what an awkward meal that was. Uh, this, one's, this one's more. This is even more awkward. Uh, I want to tell you about one that I had a long, long time ago. When I was in about the third grade, uh, I went out with some friends, and we found a book of matches, and we thought it would be great to light those and throw them at one another and just do some horribly stupid things. Uh, and my folks found out. My parents found out. And my dad did this thing that he used to do when I would come home. He found out what I was doing, and he would say, is there anything that you'd like to tell me? And <laughs> that is my opportunity to come clean. Now, here's the problem. My dad would sometimes do that when he didn't know anything just because he was fishing. So uh, I learned to deny. So I was just like, no, there's not anything that I need to tell you. Are you sure there's not anything you need to tell me? I was like, yeah, I'm sure. There's not anything that I need to tell you. And then eventually he laid out. I know what you did. I know what you did. Here's what you did. And it was a big deal because it was so dangerous. And I was with some other little kids. And I was in big trouble. And I remember my dad saying, I'm so upset with you that I don't know what to do to punish you tonight. So I'll tell you what, just go to bed and we'll talk about it tomorrow. Well, that's just torture, right? <laughs> I mean, just go, go to bed and, you know, for tomorrow you die. That's kind of what it was. It was one of those, like, well, I sat back there and went in my room and I didn't sleep at all. And then the next morning when I woke up, I hid in my room and, uh, because I didn't want to come out. And then he comes in, he knocks on the door late in the morning and he said, come on, it's breakfast time. So I walk in and I remember walking into the room and, my mom and my two sisters are looking at me like dead man walking, you know. 
And, um, and I sit down, and so we have breakfast. And of course, I'm just sitting there with my head down the whole time, kind of eating, kind of not, hoping that this is all going to go away. Nobody's saying anything. It's really silent until finally my dad says, we need to talk about this. Let's you and I go back and talk about it. So I won't fill you in on all the gory details after that. I will say I lived, and that's the important thing that happened after that. But I do remember that breakfast. I remember that conversation, uh, wanting to avoid it so much. Sitting there at that table at a meal going, man, I hope we don't have to talk about this. I'd love to be anywhere but here. This is so awkward. Uh, And how hard that it was during that time. And I don't know if you know about those awkward conversations, But those were usually when they pop up, you know they're going to be serious from the beginning, like the way that they start, uh, that they can be real serious. If you ever, you know, were dating someone and they said, hey, we need to talk about where this relationship is going. That's about to be a serious conversation. You need to know. That's going to be a big deal. Or when your child comes to you and says, dad, we need to talk about something. I have something to tell you. That's about to be a pretty serious conversation, right? Uh, When your spouse says, we need to talk you know that that's probably not, hey, we need to talk because I made you some cookies and it's really great. It never follows in that way, right? It's, it's serious business. These, are <laughs> These conversations that you know are weighty matters. The things that are serious stuff. These are the conversations that you go from the beginning, I can tell this is going to affect our relationship. Something big's about to happen here. We need to get something out in the open. Maybe there's something between us that we haven't talked about, and we need to talk about it because if we don't get this out, we will not be able to move forward unless we're able to get past this. And that's the big conversation that's happening today in John 21 between Peter and Jesus. It's a famous conversation. Uh, It's a conversation mostly known as uh, when Jesus reinstates Peter in a lot of ways, but boy, there's a lot to it. And it was awkward, and you need to know it was difficult, but it was really necessary for Peter. They had to have this talk. This was one they really needed to have. And not only that, but I want us to look at that today and realize that that is not just a conversation that really just happened that one time between him and Peter, but this is a conversation really that all of us at some point or another are going to have with our Savior This story is not about us, and I want to make sure that it's clear. This story is not about us, but it does reveal the nature of Jesus and the way that he talks to his disciples. And so it can tell us so much about who he is and what our relationship with him will be like. Let me give you a little context and a little background to start with. This conversation that's about to happen between Peter and Jesus that's so awkward and and so hard for Peter to have comes after the death and the resurrection of of Jesus. So Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. If you recall, Peter and John run to the tomb. Peter has been in the tomb. He has seen that Jesus is not there. He's seen the folded clothes, but he did not see Jesus at that time. He just knew that the tomb was empty. Of course, then later he hears from Mary that she's seen him and that he's been resurrected. And then you have the two times that it says Jesus showed up to talk to the disciples. And this one's really interesting because it says Jesus came and talked to the disciples. There's one time when Thomas wasn't there, and there's one time when Thomas was there, when Jesus came and talked to him. And, and I don't know whether or not Peter was at either one of these visits from Jesus. Because when it says Jesus came and appeared to the disciples, you know it's not everybody because you know Thomas isn't there. And it's interesting, they don't mention Peter one way or the other. And John, in his writing, really liked to mention Peter. If Peter was doing something, John was ratting him out. I mean, he was going to talk about it. He was going to mention, and Peter was there. 
and he doesn't. And so while Jesus came and appeared twice to the disciples, we don't know that all of the disciples were there. It's very possible that Peter was not there for those times. I don't know that for sure, but it's very possible. And even if he was there, you need to know there was no direct conversation between Peter and Jesus during that time. And that's important. Because what we're going to talk about today is a conversation that Jesus does want to have with Peter. The last conversation that Jesus had with Peter before this was really hard. The last conversation was when Peter made this bold claim of, I'll die for you. Even if everybody else leaves you, I won't leave you. And then Jesus said those famous words that goes, you know, before the rooster crows in the morning, man, you're going to deny me three times. That's the last conversation they had. And then they find themselves in this place, and this is going to be the next conversation they've had. This, there's a lot that's happened that's been bookended by really hard conversations between Jesus and Peter. And so where we're going to pick up here in chapter 21, it begins with their seven disciples together. It mentions them and Peter. And Peter just pipes up and says, I'm going fishing. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to take off and I'm going to go fishing. Now, I think that the reason this is happening when you look at everything that's gone on is because Peter is retired. Peter's done being a disciple. When he denied Jesus three times, you need to understand for a disciple of a rabbi during that time, to deny your rabbi was the worst thing that you could do. It is the worst betrayal of a relationship in every way. It's very similar to the idea of if you were to come and go, hey, is that your father? And you go, I don't know that guy. That's not my dad. You sure that's not your father? Or are you sure that's not your wife? You sure that's not your husband? Not, I don't know him. It is a betrayal at such a deep level that it had to have been torturous for Peter during this time. So they're in this very difficult spot where I think Peter does not see himself as a disciple anymore. There was the denial, and I don't know if it's guilt, or I don't know if he feels like, hey, I probably got fired after this, but I don't think that he sees himself as a disciple. Instead, he's going back to the world that he had of fishing. So he decides to go fishing, and his friends go with him. And that's where we're going to pick up right now. Casey, if you would step up here to read for us. Here's our text for today, John 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Word of the Lord. Thank you for that, Casey. I appreciate it. So I, this is such a, a, a difficult, it's just short passage, but it's such a difficult passage. And I hope that we'll be able to feel the tension that's going in there because it's really important. What had happened was as Peter had gone out fishing with his friends, Jesus had appeared and they saw him. And one of the things they said was, it's the Lord. So they knew who he was and they had come to him and then, and then uh, Jesus had cooked breakfast for them. So they had had this meal 
They'd had this meal together, and I wonder if it was that awkward, silent sort of meal that I remember from when I was about third grade, and I'm sitting there with my father. How difficult that must have been. And then at the end of the meal, as you can see, what happens is Jesus turns and he changes his attention from the group to Peter. This has got to be the first time since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that he turns his attention right there to Peter, and they're going to have a conversation. It's time for us to talk about this. It's time for us to deal with what's happened here. And it's really interesting that John does it this way. And you know, I've talked to you about how much I love the way John writes is so different. The other three Gospels, they end with the Great Commission. You know the Great Commission. What happens is Jesus gathers this big group, larger than just the, the 11 that are left, this large group, and he says, look, here's the deal. I want you to go out in all the world, and I want you to preach the Gospel, and I want you to make disciples, and this is what I want you to do. And John doesn't end that way. What it ends with is Jesus turning his mind and his heart and his conversation to one person. One person who desperately needs to talk to Jesus. One person who desperately needs to have this conversation because he's suffering. Man, he's got to be having such a hard time during this. So he turns his mind there to that one person. I imagine that that must have been a very difficult meal before the conversation there with with uh, Peter and with Jesus. I imagine he's sitting over there and there's fish and there's bread and Peter's got his head down and maybe he's thinking, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk about this. Maybe he won't bring it up. I'm not going to bring it up. Maybe we can both act like none of this ever happened and we can just kind of move on and we don't need to discuss this in any way. Because what he's fearing is that we're about to have to talk about my most shameful moment, if you're Peter. It's the most shameful moment of my life. It's the thing that's been hanging over me. It's the thing that's probably been keeping him from sleep. It's the most shameful moment of my life. And here I am now sitting in the presence of the one that I denied. But Jesus is going to bring it up. And I could imagine while they all sat there and ate, that even the rest of the disciples were probably looking over, checking on Peter, checking on Jesus, wondering, are they going to talk about this? Is this going to come up? Maybe he knows, maybe he doesn't know. We don't know what's going on. But Jesus does, and I can picture him kind of turning and looking and saying, Simon, we need to talk. And the rest of them kind of get up and excuse themselves and move away. And it's funny because Jesus doesn't mention the denial. He doesn't talk about it. Instead, he goes right in for a question. He wants to ask a question. And, and I want to tell you this, this uh, Simon, do you love me? I know there's been a lot of debate about this, about what the word love means, that there's some people that really feel like that this is really important in the way it was, is that Jesus was asking, do you love me with a divine love? And maybe you had Peter going, I like you with a brotherly love. And this back and forth, I don't know the answer to that. There's a lot of debate about that. We're not going to talk about that today. Instead, I want to focus on the fact that Jeter, Jesus, as Peter, if he loves him three times and how he asks him, because I think it's really important. I heard a commentator once describe what happens in these short verses and in this conversation as saying, this is the great physician doing painful but necessary surgery on his disciple. What a hard thing to happen. But it's really a beautiful discussion. And I want us to delve into this a little bit, dive into this conversation and this surgery to find out really what Jesus is trying to accomplish with Peter and whether or not he does the same thing with that. So first I'm going to mention... The first thing that happens is Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I don't know if you've noticed this before, but before this time, 
when Jesus would talk to Peter, it would be Simon Peter. Jesus would say, Simon Peter this, Simon Peter that. And now he's saying, Simon son of John. There's a word that's missing. And it's an important word. Because the word Peter actually kind of meant rock or rocky. And it came at this moment when Peter was the one who stood up and did confess who Jesus was. And Jesus renamed him and said, now you're going to be called Simon Peter. And it really has to do with this rock that I'm going to build the church on. Your confession and what you're going to do. And it's really like being named kind of rocky. It's like you're the one who said this. You're, you're the one who brought the rock name forward. And so he kind of called him Rocky. And then all of a sudden he's talking to him and he doesn't call him Simon Peter. As a matter of fact, it's really interesting because if you look, as John writes, he says, Jesus turned towards Simon Peter. And then Jesus said, Simon, son of John. He doesn't say Peter. He doesn't say Rock. That name's kind of been pulled back for a little bit. It's not there. And I can only imagine how that broke Peter's heart to have Jesus all of a sudden refer to him in that way. Simon, son of John. That would have hurt me terribly, and I can only imagine how it was with Peter during that time. But then here comes the first bit of surgery that Jesus does, and it's the way that he first asks. And he looks at him and he says, Do you love me more than these? The first time he asks him, Do you love me more than these? And there's been a lot of debate about that. More than these what? Is that the question of do you love me more than the rest of these people? Do you love me more than you love these people, these other disciples? Do you love me more than you love these things? Fishing, your boat, this life. I don't know what the answer to that is, and there's been a lot of debate about that too. But it really doesn't matter because the fact is, the one that he's talking to, Jesus, he knows. Jesus knows what Peter loves more than anything. He knows the answer to that. He knows what it is that Peter loves the most, and that's what Jesus wants to talk about, and that's the place that Jesus wants in his life. That's what he wants to surgically remove. If you have something that you love more than me, we need to get rid of that. That question is so vital because it cuts to the heart of what lordship is. This is Jesus coming up and going, I'd like to know, do you love me more than anything else? Am I your lord? Am I the one that takes first place in everything? And the reason that it's awkward is because the person asking the question knows the answer better than we do. And it's still a question that Jesus asks. It is the question of lordship. It's to say to you, do you love me more than these other things? Do I get the first place? Am I lord in your life? For us, that can be a very difficult question too, and it can make for an awkward conversation. Because typically, this is the way it works for us. Is that we say these prayers. We say, Jesus we want you to be in charge of our life and we want you to guide us and we want to completely surrender to you and we use these words, but then we wait and we watch. And then we can look and see what do we turn to to satisfy us besides God? What is the thing that we can look at and we can grasp onto when we're hurting, when we're having a hard time, the thing that we feel like we need to have or we're not ourselves and oftentimes, it is not bad things. It's good things that we grab onto that have that place. It's the good things that we're making into idols because we put them ahead of God. Maybe it's a job that you're using as your identity. Maybe it's a relationship with a boy or a girl that is not pleasing to the Lord. Maybe it's obsessing over how we save our money to make sure that our future is secure in the things that we do. It's turning to food to make us happy. Maybe it's turning to a hobby that we jokingly refer to as our obsession. 
but really it does take our time and it is the thing that rules our schedule in every way. All of those things that I think Jesus gets to come to us and go, do you love me more than these things? Do you love me more than that? I don't know how often, but I've had conversations with people a lot who are struggling maybe with their faith with God or whether or not they believe in God, and they talk about sin in such a way that they say, you know, it doesn't hurt anyone. The sin that I have, it doesn't hurt anyone, and that seems to be a big question in our world right now, but that's not the question that Jesus asks. He doesn't ask the question, hey, do you have these things, whether or not they hurt anyone. The question he asks is, do you love me? That's the question he's asking Peter, and that's more important. He's asking, do you love me? Am I Lord? Christ wants to remove from us all of the things that don't hurt anyone except for the fact that they dictate our actions more than Christ does. That needs to be removed. We have to turn loose of those things. It needs to be cut out. That's part of the surgery. I talked to a lady a few years ago, I remember, who's a disciple, devoted person. And she came to me and she, it was really interesting. I don't even know how this came up. But she started saying, uh, she told me, I feel like God has called me to spend a whole year not buying any new clothes. And her husband's standing there going, amen, <laughs> with that. Going, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was God. Yeah. So, said, I'm going to go a whole year without buying any new clothes. And she said, here's the reason. is because I feel like I've been convicted that I'm getting my cup filled by shopping and buying clothes instead of being filled by him. So I'm going to stop, and I'm not going to do that. Is buying clothes bad? No, buying clothes is not bad. There's not anything evil about that in and of itself. But she realized that it was something that was keeping her from completely belonging to God. It was filling this need that she had. When she would go do that, when she was sad, she'd go shopping. When she was happy, she'd go shopping. These were the things that she did, and so she felt like that she needed to stop doing that. And so she picked a year to do it, and she said, I have more time, and I have more money to spend on things that honor God. I've never been closer to him. Never. And it was just that opportunity to take a look and go, what are the things that I turn to? What are the things that I grasp and hold on to? And don't misunderstand me. This is not about removing things that you like from your life. I'm not saying, here's the thing. If you like golf, you need to quit playing golf. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say any of those things that you're doing. Those are not evil things. The question becomes that Jesus wants to ask is, do you love me more than these? And letting him separate from us the things that may be, may be keeping us from completely belonging to him spiritually. If you haven't had that awkward conversation with your Savior about what I love the most and what could possibly be keeping me away from you, you need to have that. That's a good conversation to have. It's a good one to have with the Lord. Here's the second part. When he asks, do you love me? And he asks it the three times. You know, the interesting question is he doesn't ask, do you believe in me? That's understood. He keeps asking, do you love me? And he asks it three times. See, belief has already been established. When they saw him on the shore and they pulled in the catch, they went, it's the Lord. They already knew it was the Lord. So they came running up there. So what's really at the heart of what Jesus is doing is not whether or not you believe. I know you believe. I need to know, do you love me? Do you really love me? And that had to be so awkward and so hard for Peter to be a part of. To have his Savior keep asking, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Most people believe that he asked three times because Peter denied him three times. I don't know if that's true. I know three is a number in Hebrew where they use a lot. In the Jewish culture, it is something that you would do often because it had to do with making sure that you were getting a point across. But I think in asking him three times, 
again, Jesus is doing some much-needed surgery. He's showing Peter, listen, I know your shame. I know what happened. I know what you did that broke my heart and that broke your heart. I know everything that you've done and everything that you will do, and I know that you believe in me, and I know that you've been messed up and that you have messed up. But that's not the important question. The most important question that determines whether or not you and I get to move forward, Peter, is do you still love me? Do you love me? And I don't know that this is about Peter trying to convince Jesus that he loves him as much as it is Jesus trying to convince Peter that he loves him. I'm going to keep asking you, and I'm going to keep letting you say it. And then I'm going to surgically remove the shame that you have, this fear that you have that I'm going to turn my back on you, this self-doubt that keeps Peter from being who you're meant to be. Did you mess up? Yes. Did you go back on your word? Yes. Did you deny me? Yes. Did it hurt me? Yes, you did. Did it hurt you? Yes, it did. Is that what matters most? Nope. That's not what matters most. Here's what matters most. Do you love me? And man, that's good news, that that's the question that's being asked. Now, obviously, that's not a place that we've been where you've denied Jesus three times in one night in a large crowd full of people. But I got to tell you, that question, too, does make me think about how it would be. You can see the needed awkwardness and the power in him asking three times, and I've thought about that, of what I would do if you had your Lord sit there and go, Scott, do you love me? I go, yeah, yeah, I love you. He goes, but do you love me? Yeah, yeah. But do you love me? And that would bring you to the spot where you're going, wow, I'm really going to have to examine this question. I'm really going to have to look deep into my heart and decide what I really love, what really matters to me. To take a look and understand the weight of that question that Jesus asked for us and to be able to answer truthfully. Is that an awkward conversation? Yeah. Is it good for us to have? Uh-huh. Yeah. To make sure we have that one with our Lord and to be able to go, yeah, yeah. And this is what love means. Next, and this is one of my favorite parts, is finally when he asks him the three times and then he closes out with these words. Follow me. And I can only imagine the relief that came across Peter's face when he said that. He goes, follow me. And Peter went, oh. Those are the words that I started with. Those are the words that Jesus originally first asked me. When he first found me, these were the words that say, I want you to belong to me, and I want you to follow me. Such relief, I can only imagine. Peter going, those are the words that he said to me before I messed up. Those are the words that he said to me when I was shiny and new and when he first met me and he wanted me to belong to him, and I haven't disqualified myself from following him. That's all I would have been thinking is to go, I haven't disqualified myself. He still wants me to follow him. What I did didn't rule it out. He still wants me to follow him. And I think that feeling probably is Peter misunderstanding the calling, but he's going to understand it pretty soon. Here's the deal. Jesus already made up his mind about Peter a long time ago. I already made up my mind about you. I want you to follow me. You go, yeah, but... Do you have any idea what I've done? Yeah, I know exactly what you've done. But do you realize how disappointing I've been? Yeah, I know what you did. Do you realize that I denied you three times? Yes. I know everything there is to know about you. 
That's the thing that leads us to those questions. If they only know what I've done, I don't think God would call me. And that's misunderstanding the calling. Peter wasn't qualified when Jesus first called him. So how can he be disqualified now? It has nothing to do with what you've done. It has nothing to do with how great you are and how talented you are. There was not a fantasy draft pick for Jesus, and he picked you because you were the best one. That's not the way that this works. I decided a long time ago, Jesus said, that I want you to follow me. But what I've done, what you've done has nothing to do with whether or not I want you to follow me. I still want you to follow me. I'm not calling you again. I'm calling you still to follow me. And that's the same thing that we have. Not only follow me, and this is what I love about this too, but I've got plans for you. I can use you. You are not damaged beyond repair. I've got plans for you, Peter. That was the way every time he asked, do you love me? Yes, then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, then take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, then feed my sheep. I've got a role for you. You have not disqualified yourself from following me, and you have not disqualified yourself from being useful to me. Oh, I've got plans for you, Peter. I imagine right then, if he had sat and told him, let me tell you what's about to happen in your life. Let me tell you what the rest of your life is going to look like. Let me tell you about what's going to happen on the day of Pentecost when you will be the one who stands up and preaches and 3,000 people will give their lives and come and be baptized. You will be the one who preaches the good news to them. You will be the one who goes to Cornelius and his family and reaches out to the Gentiles for the first time and baptizes their whole family. You will be the one who comes to the family of Tabitha, raises her from the dead and shows the power of Jesus' resurrection. I've got plans for you. You have no idea how I'm going to use you. None. If we can just answer two questions. Do you love me? And will you follow me? That's it. That's the only qualification that has to answer. You have to answer. And that is such good news for us. I start thinking about that and going, man, if I were to think of the most embarrassing, most shameful things in my life and to sit here and go, I don't know that I'm qualified to do any of this stuff, to stand up here and talk to you about this in any way. And to have Jesus go, that's not the question. The question is, do you love me? And then the question is, will you follow me? That's why that conversation is so important, and we need to have it. In the same way, Christ has a role for you specifically. He has a role in his kingdom for you, and you have done nothing that would disqualify you in any way. You believe in him, you even love him, but you need to be a part of his mission. He's got plans for you. You need to know what that is. If you haven't, you need to have that conversation with Jesus. Don't just go out fishing. Nothing wrong with fishing. Don't just be spiritually fishing. You need to know that mission that God's got because there are people that he's got that are depending on you. You need to know where God's got that place for you to fit in to his plan. You can have that awkward conversation with him where you're asking him, where do you have me in your big plan? What part am I supposed to be in this? And it's funny, too, because you got Peter who gets distracted with that. One of the things that he does, he goes, what about him? And points over at John. And I love that Jesus brings that right back. He's going, forget him. This is you and me. This is you and me. This is me setting you back on the ground and letting you understand where you are. Because here's the deal. That's what the cross was for. If I can't take you and your denial and what you did and put you right back on solid ground with me, following me and being used, then the cross and the resurrection was for nothing. 
That's the power of it. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the resurrection. Is that you're back on solid ground, belonging with me, loving me, and I'm going to use you. It's important that we get that. It's really important that we understand that. It's really important that we understand what God's got in store for us individually. A lot of times what we do is we talk about us, and we should as a church, right? But we can oftentimes focus on what we're doing. Well, we do this as a church, and we do this as a church, and we do this as a church. And we forget that really what it is is the church is made up of people who are in surrender to Christ following him in his mission. That's what makes the church. It's not just people who get together once a week, and it's not just people who will pool their resources and partner together to do good works. That's part of it. But that's not what makes us church. Those things are good. But the church is a group of individual people who have Christ as Lord coming together to follow him together, to love him together, and to encourage one another in that. That's the church. That's what we need. What we need is a room full of people who have had this conversation with Jesus to go, listen, I've messed up. And he goes, oh, I know. And he goes, I've done some things that I'm ashamed of. And he goes, oh, I know that. But do you love me? Because that's the big question. If you do and you're willing to follow me, then I'm going to set you back on ground and solid ground, and I've got a plan for you. I've got things for you to do. There are people in your sphere of influence. There are people in your life that are dependent on you coming and sharing the gospel with them. I can use you. I can use you in what I'm doing. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. I've got plans for you, and I can use you. God doesn't ask me to go to a church that's devoted to his will. God asks us to be people who are devoted to his will and getting there together. He doesn't ask me to go to a church that cares for the poor. He asks for me to care for the poor. He doesn't ask me to go to a church where people sacrificially give of their time, talent, and treasure so that we can work in this act of faith. He wants me to do that. He wants me to search my heart and all of us together become this body submitted to the Lord in surrender, understanding that he's got a plan for us and a mission for us. And when we do that, we're the church. That's us. Some of you need to have this hard conversation with the Lord. Some of you have kind of been going through this for a while, and you need to have this conversation where he gets to say to you, hey, do you love me more than the rest of this other stuff? I need you to say it so that you can see it clearly. And to be able to say, hey, are you mine? Do you want to follow me? Because I've got things for you to do. I've got a mission for you that will change the world. And let me tell you, some of us are in here and you haven't made that decision to follow Christ yet. And you're wondering, you're going, he's not going to call me. I'm not qualified for this. I've disqualified myself with the things I've done in my past. If he only knew what I had done, if he only knew the shameful things that I'd done, the way that I've messed up, and some people have told you that that's disqualified you, and it's bull because that's not true. The fact is, the question is, do you love me and will you follow me? That's all it takes. That's all it takes for you to belong to him. What a wonderful bit of hard surgery that Jesus did on Peter. What a wonderful thing that he would do for all of us to make sure that we could get to the heart of the matter and belong to him and see who he is. What a great example of what the power of the cross and the resurrection is in our life to watch him reinstate the one who denied him three times and go, I'm going to use you in ways you cannot even imagine. That's the conversations that we need to have with our Lord. And here's the best part. You don't need to be afraid of this. 
You don't need to be afraid of this conversation because here's the deal. He already knows all the answers that you have to these questions. He already knows you best and he already loves you most and he's already made up his mind about you. He's already made up his mind that he wants you to follow him. That part's done. You don't need to be afraid of this. We need to let our Lord examine our hearts and talk to us and pull us into the life that we need to live. I'm going to tell you, again, if you haven't decided that this is who you want to belong to, boy, we really want you to. This is where freedom lies. This is where contentment in this world lies, is belonging to Jesus. Letting him do the surgery to cut those things out of your life that really have no hope and have no promise and have no future in them. And to let us set him up as Lord and Savior in every way. We'd love to talk to you about that. We're going to give you an opportunity if you want to talk to any of us. If you just need to pray about this. If you need to pray with somebody about going, I don't know what my mission is. I don't know how God's going to use me. Or maybe you need to turn loose of some things from the past. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. We're going to uh, have some elders and some ministers around here to pray with one another. And we're all going to stand, if you would stand with me. We'll sing a couple of songs. Pray with one another. Pray to the Lord there in your seat. Come and pray with one of us. Uh, if you need to talk to somebody about what it means to submit to Christ, we would love to talk to you about that. Let me start us off with a prayer, and then we're going to have a couple of songs. Lord God, we thank you so much uh, for this, um, this scripture that has to do with Peter and this difficult conversation he had to have with Jesus. Lord, we are thankful that we get to read that because it reminds us we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid to be in your presence. We don't need to be afraid of what we've done. We don't need to think that you've ever thought about us as being people who've disqualified ourselves to follow you. All you ask is that we love you and that we will follow you. And Lord, we want to do that with courage and we want to do that in such a way that we give up everything. We want to love you more than these, more than any of the other things that we have. We want you to lead us and we want you to guide us and we want you to use us in your purposes and in your mission. And Lord, we ask all of this through the name of our resurrected Jesus. Amen.